The word development implies change. Development signals progress, a step forward, towards something. Change, on the other hand, is about something harder, something bumpier. In development work, social work, do-gooder work, work that involves the serious and methodical pursuit to create change, the hardest things to break through are people's behaviours and attitudes. But how exactly do we do that? Hello and welcome to In the Field, a podcast about India and development hosted by me, Samyukta Varma, and me, Radhika Vishwanathan. This show is supported by Rohini Nilekani Philanthropies. In the Field is about understanding what goes into solving India's problems. It's about the people who make this work possible, and it's about learning how we can all be a part of it. In development, we try to induce change. In this episode, we meet a communicator, a researcher, an activist, and a singer. The four people we speak to all work on finding out what it takes to make change stick. From triggering an individual, to learning what can break down a social norm, to disrupting a narrative, and complicating our own ideas of who we are. One of the key aspects of figuring out how to make and create change is communication. It's the thing that helps get the work done. At an operational level, communication is what gets people to agree to work together, to build a road or a school or a healthcare center. But it's also what we use to influence change in the behaviors of large, diverse groups of people. Communication in government and NGOs is usually represented by a line item called IEC in a project budget. It stands for Information, Education, Communication. At its simplest level, IEC refers to the materials produced to disseminate messages. Remember the family planning symbol? The upside-down red triangle? Or the hamdo, hamari do, we two, ours two signs that dress the backsides of lorries? Or even the two drops for life? The goals of IEC are simultaneously mundane and lofty, like get vaccinated, but also limit the size of your family. So we need to use more than just text and images to get the point across, like one-on-one meetings or interpersonal communication, workshops with small groups, even street plays, and media such as radio. With technology becoming cheaper, the field has also evolved. We're now seeing dashboards, SMSs, and IVR messaging on phones. The methodologies and approaches are also getting more sophisticated. It's becoming more about using communication to create a measurable outcome and make it scale. To learn more about this, we met with... I'm uh, Balaji. I am from Upward Spiral Consulting, and I work in the area of behavior change design for uh, creating social impact. Bala started out as an ad man, but grew bored with his work when he realized he didn't really care that much about writing copy for the latest suitcase. After a brief stint with an NGO, he now works mainly on behavior-centered design, an approach being used in public health and sanitation that has made huge impacts on incidences of illness and infection. He works a lot on the great big Indian sanitation jamboree, the Swachh Bharat mission. His work is about deceptively simple things, like getting people to wash their hands after using a toilet, or using a toilet. Here he is explaining what this field is all about. 
obviously everything that we are doing in the course of a day is a behavior like right from like we are brushing our teeth to we are eating our food we are walking we are talking to somebody and uh, that's at a personal level but at a social level we know that uh, you know behavior change can uh, dramatically change uh, the state of the world so for instance if everybody were to segregate waste and uh, we wouldn't have uh, so much of waste landing in landfills and oceans and uh, uh, you know polluting the rivers and water bodies and so on or if all of us save the energy we may not have global warming and so how these individual behaviors then lead up to you know, collective uh, social impact and changing the state of the world i think that's the importance of behavior change behavior change is having its moment in india right now actually this year we might have even hit peak behavior change worldwide when american economist and behavioral scientist richard taylor won the nobel prize that said the field is quite young younger than a baby boomer but older than a millennial and it draws from many disciplines like behavioral economics and psychology and it seems like the development sector in india has finally accepted it full on in the past like uh, social this whole space of social change like people used to be more comfortable investing in infrastructure like you would rather put your money in uh, building a water tank or you put your money in building a toilet uh, but people have come to see that that's not good enough like you can build a toilet you can't still make people use it if they don't want to use it and that's where there is need for behavior changes being felt by the social sector that is something that they should focus on bala works with the environmental health group at the london school of tropical hygiene and medicine and uses their evo eco approach a mix of evolutionary biology and ecological psychology to drive change in individuals they had uh, developed this model around behavior centered design and one of the uh, key tenets of the model was that emotional motives work more powerfully than giving people knowledge and information and and if you look at traditionally if you look at a lot of health communication and social communication it tends to be in the area of you give people the information that smoking will cause cancer if you drive fast you will have accidents and then people will change their behaviors that's the inherent assumption but if we look at uh, all our behaviors we will notice that like you know we are not changing because we know something like all of us know it's good to exercise but that is not good enough to get us moving and start exercising we asked bala to tell us about his work on a well known hand washing campaign called superama that used emotional motives such as disgust nurture comfort and affiliation as the core of its behavior change communication here's a small reminder of why it's important Hand washing regularly can reduce your chances of getting diarrheal infection by nearly half. Superama was centered around convincing mothers to encourage their children to wash their hands with soap 4 to 5 times a day. Here's how it worked. So they in fact wanted us to design a campaign uh, for hand washing with soap without using the word germs and diseases. cleanliness and nurture as some motive were like very closely linked so we wanted to explore that and we explored it in the form of a story like you know especially like when you're talking uh, doing research with in villages in india like many of them cannot even read if you show them a concept so we were wondering what is a powerful way to you know test motives and we found stories to be very powerful so we wrote stories around different motives like disgust uh, nurture social norms uh, status and things and then we found the area of nurture and good manners to be the most powerful out of that and uh, uh, therefore we pinned the whole campaign on that uh, motive so while that uh, motive is the core aspect of the campaign but as i said like behavior is a process so it's not just a one time a thing you have done and then people have changed their behavior so there were elements around how do we remind people for a period of you know 21 days 
so we hired actually a local volunteer who used to go and ask people every day or every other day did you wash your hands with soap every uh, extra day or not so that was a way of reminding uh, we had a sticker in the bathrooms which just a pair of eyes looking at them and uh, so there is some uh, behavior science principle to that where people are more honest when they are being watched uh, so there were reminders like that and then we did a whole lot of things around uh, exaggerating a new social norm uh, you know like while hand washing with soap is not a new social norm yet but you can create a feeling that something is, new norm is emerging approaches like these are deeply researched bala and his team spend time living in the villages they're hoping to impact observing practices and finding ways to create messages that can have meaning which is how they were able to figure out that a message about hand washing can be cast as a message about nurture and they find ways to specifically trigger mothers to change behavior but behavior change is typically targeted at individuals and individual behavior those who work on these matters believe that single behaviors added up can be nudged towards a social movement or the creation of a new social norm The question of social norms brought us to a study on Bihar's Rural Livelihood and Poverty Alleviation Program, Jeevika, which was supported by the World Bank. Since 2006, Jeevika has helped 7 million rural women across the state. The program follows the classic microfinance model. Around a dozen women come together to form a self-help group and put money in weekly to build up their group savings. These groups are then federated at the village level to form community organizations and are linked to commercial banks so that they can get loans. And all along the way the program provides help and support through investments to build assets so women can address basic things like food security which is a primary concern for regions of Bihar but also so that they can start businesses. The remarkable thing about Jeevika is that it proposed to do something quite dramatic in a region where women are typically cloistered and do not participate much in public life. So how do they even get women to leave their houses? We spoke to one of the authors of the paper, Shruti Majumdar, who conducted a four-year-long sociological study of the program to understand the process of change. What was very unique about the project is that it went in very slowly in the beginning. So it it thought long and hard about how do you induce change, and how do you um, undo, so to speak, some of these gender norms, right? Um, you know, we went in fairly loosely. So we started very much with some very loose conversations about the project itself, and not so much about change. And one of the things that I remember, and it's, it it still stays with me, is that one of the people, one of the men, actually said that we think that this project is basically turning women into men. So what did Jeevika do to turn these women into men? The program operates in a very traditional, culturally conservative region. And so a first step for community mobilizers and Jeevika staff was the task of winning the trust of the community. One of the frontline workers who's now a very senior person in the project, you know, he said uh, um in the beginning uh, you know, Mukhya's um husbands, they were so not keen on allowing us to be there. They would keep throwing us out of the village. They would keep uh saying that you know you're going to corrupt our women you know we've had we've had a bad history of sort of self help groups trying and trying to bring in change they've robbed us of our money and i i i still remember one of them said you know we had to demonstrate that we were there to do good right so one of the things we did is you know the three of us we decided we're just going to camp in the temple 
for at least two months, we were sleeping in the temple. We were camping there. We decided to do basic like sanitation things. Um, you know, we decided to start cleaning up their roads. Um, you know, just literally just being there and being able to give it that kind of time, and then started to have some trust within the village that we were really there for their own good. The women targeted through the program were also a mixed bunch, from upper caste chowdhuries to the lower caste domes. But they were all poor. In order to get them to form groups and work together, the program decided to create a new identity based around economic status. The fact that all the women were garib didis, jivika didis, poor sisters, jivika sisters. The approach worked. The SHG sessions would begin with a song which was meant to create a feeling of belonging. Women were encouraged to tell and retell their own stories through games, shared folk tales and plays. And by doing so, they began to embrace ideas of womanhood and question those that were solely about their domestic roles. And for the first time, women began to step out alone, take on financial responsibilities for their groups, go to the shops by themselves, to the village offices and to the bank. Then let's think about what's in it for different kinds of women. And, you know, for some women, you know, that interest rate was important, right? Some women are already, quote unquote, in their in their minds, empowered. And for them, it was just about the cheap credit, right? For some other women, learning about the money lending networks and learning about interest rate was important and doing financial calculations for the first time was important. For some women, just stepping out of the household and being called by her name rather than being called by her husband's name was important. So, you know, I, identifying that, undoing that, unpacking that, and then thinking about the intervention was, is what I think sets this apart. Big programs like this never start out explicitly talking about culture, even if they are about women's empowerment. It's safer to talk about economics. But taking on culture and social norms are a fundamental aspect of what they do. Yet how often do we meditate on questions like these? Shruti shared a clip from one of the Jeevika Didis, Sudha Devi. And two daughters who left their studies halfway and were married now say if we had studied, we could have done something. They hadn't even completed their matriculation when they were married. They were 16 years old. But think about it. Today, my daughter is 18, and I won't marry her off. I want her to stand on her own two feet. This is the mindset Jivika has given me. But let's also be realistic. These cultural shifts have their limits. For me, one of the most powerful quotes was, uh, you know, this woman, uh, she's a dome woman. Uh, and Dome is one of the absolute lowest, lowest, lowest castes in in in, um, in Bihar. It was fascinating to me. She said, you know, uh, our meetings are held in temples or like, you know, public spaces, but mostly in temples. Like, so there's a big Durga temple in the middle of the uh, village. And so she says, ko jati aur tab to, you know, koi problem nahi hai, and there's all this wonderful, you know, Jivika nest to it and we can all sit in the temple and uh, talk and you know there's deliberate and you know uh, it's extremely empowering for me and then I walk into that same temple in the evening and they won't let me walk in they won't let me um, give donations because as soon as this project switches off you have to understand I'm still a dome at the end of the day 
After our conversation, Shruti emailed us, and I'm going to read out what she said. One idea that occurred to me after we hung up related to change is to question the idea of success and failure. I found in Jeevika that a lot of women fail to bring change every day. They fail to start a business, fail to scale it up, fail to win elections, fail to raise voice in public forums. And often from the point of view of large international development organizations, this looks like really bad news. But what we learned from women who are closely watching women try and fail every day is that it gives them the capacity to aspire. Stalin K. Padma is one of the founders and the director of Video Volunteers, a media and human rights non-profit based in Goa. Stalin is also a documentary filmmaker, and when I was 12, I was shown one of his films, Lesser Humans. It's about the plight of manual scavengers in Gujarat, and it's brutal in its honesty and in the way it shows how the practice affects those tied to it. The movie is still imprinted in my mind, and 20 years on, I still think of it. Documentaries like this one make us think how empowered are the subjects of the film as compared to those making the film. To a large extent, this is the question that drives Stalin's work, to break this power and make it more democratic. Back when Stalin began working, equipment was expensive and hard to get by, and so he first worked on radio and was part of drafting India's community radio policy. But around 10 years ago, things changed and video has now become ubiquitous. Cameras, even phones with cameras are cheap. And this is when Video Volunteers was established, to allow communities, particularly those on the fringes, to tell their own story. It's about changing the content of the discourse by changing those who produce it. The fun part and interesting and important part of community media, uh, in the true sense, is that the communities decide what should go as media. So the kind of the kind of issues being discussed are very, very diverse and very, very nuanced because each... So if, if for example, if one is talking about the success and failure of Swachh Bharat in Orissa, those stories will be very different than the success and failures of Swachh Bharat in Kashmir. And one can see those differences if one were to watch these videos closely, uh, which will not be the case for any centralized media discourses because it tends to dump down, tends to... Uh, tends to homogenize quite a bit. Um, so if, if mainstream mass media is, is, has, to, has to take the approach of homogenization, community media is the exact opposite of that. It takes the approach of heterogenization. The second interesting aspect is that because uh, in, our, in our work, we, we train uh, communities from very margins, uh, there's a lot of empowerment uh, our network of about 250 community correspondents today are extremely empowered individuals to not only report on stories but also use those reports to mobilize communities and to show it back, uh, show these evidences back to government officers to find the solutions to the problems that they are reporting. Video Volunteers is a network that's present in 215 districts across India. Just think about that for a minute. From the north to the south and from the east to the west, that's nearly one in three districts in India that has a VV correspondent. 
Their incredible efforts are changing the discourse in the field. Every film produced is used to advocate for themselves and their communities. The the media product that they create creates a window to the officials for them to go and sit across them, pull out their tablets, show the evidences, and say, and have a dialogue with them, saying, "How do we go about solving this?" So they are also community change makers. They are not just reporters, right? Stalin and video volunteers' co-work has helped people find their voice, which in turn has allowed them to participate in decision making. They have over a thousand instances of impact, from a family or a community getting access to a hand pump to getting toilets or payment sanctioned, and they have touched over four million lives. So the combination of being able to analyze the problem, being able to report on it, posit a, an opinion on it. Uh, suggest changes, follow through that change, uh, record the impact, show the show the impact back to the community. is a, is an extremely fulfilling, empowering exercise. Uh, this is also something that's missing from other methods of working. But their biggest impact, their deepest change making, is in helping scores of marginalized people, like women or people from underserved communities, and so on, to use their voice to bring the changes they want to see collectively. And so we come to our last segment. We have seen how individuals can be nudged, how people change when they are given a chance to belong in a different way, and what happens when people are given a voice and a platform. Very clearly, change is also about taking on the dominant narratives, the stories we too readily accept about how things are, and these need to be constantly challenged, not just from the outside but also from within. And so, how would one do that? To understand more. We went to meet a maverick of sorts, T. M. Krishna. Fated as one of the greatest Carnatic classical singers, he's done things differently: breaking from tradition, boycotting the Margari, the famed annual music and cultural season in Chennai, at the peak of his career. T. M. K.'s award citation for the 2016 Magsaysay Award recognizes his forceful commitment as an artist and advocate to arts' power to heal India's deep social divisions. We catch up with TMK breathless as we track him between festivals, events, talks and performances. When he speaks, his mind meanders as much as his person. His hands gesticulate widely and emote every emotion, but he's very articulate and in control, leading to a very interesting conversation. I very honest, I'm I was never such a I mean you never catch me 20 years ago having a discussion on society or caste or gender or anything like that. Not that I was blind to it, but I never engaged with it. That's the truth. So uh, I'm, like I've said, I'm as upper caste, upper class as you can get. Uh, but I think it was art that kind of shook me a bit in terms of showing a mirror to myself of what I was. So it's the experience of art that questioned who I was. So I began this long journey of figuring out whether what I was singing was really worth it. That was how it all, all started with whether it's really worth it or whether I was just, you know, creating an aesthetic echo chamber, an echo chamber of similar people listening to similar things, feeling very good about themselves, and going back home, which to a large extent what all art does. That's the problem with art. In his eyes, new experiences are strangers but should be welcome ones because they bring exciting and new things, and it's this that drives him to work on the interesting confluence of art, society, culture. and change i think that i think it comes from the experience so i think the point of entry is going to be discomfort but how do i how do i make the person want the discomfort again now that's the trick 
so the if the first discomfort does not make me want it second time i will not come back right so that's the i think that's where the the catch lies so when i wanted again and again the discomfort and disgust or whatever baggage i may be carrying starts slowly disappearing and i think so now how do i can i program that tmk knows very well the experiences music creates and he has thought hard about his role as a social artist and how he can use his music to create social experiences that democratizes art and flatten social hierarchies i think it can be curated so it can be curated in many ways one is to always play with the known and the unknown and know how to play with the known and the unknown so as because um, the unknown is the is the point of discomfort the known is a security back bracket okay so for everyone involved the known and unknown should be played with so if say you come from a different community different culture i come from a different culture i must do the same to you and same to me but if i can be smart in the way i am curating and how do i let both seep into each other it's not as important if i just plonk all these art forms there and people say no i have to let these things seep into each other his choice to sing along transgenders or jogapas or to perform carnatic music on the beach is very deliberate but has no outcome in mind it's an interesting shift from the other perspectives we've heard so far where the anticipated change has an end goal and the solution is the means to that end tmk doesn't anticipate what's going to happen he just tries something new now porumboku padal is a is a very interesting example because it came from actually two parallel conversations that me and nityanand jayaram were having two parallel conversations one was there was this film called one that i did okay so this was a film of taking the artists up to the mountain the hills so i did that so i think it was a month after that when niti just called me and said have you gone to enor yeah so never gone so let's go I said fine we spent the whole morning uh, in the dump yard and around the creek and um, i remember i wrote a piece about that after that but i just spent the day there and he was joking and he said we should do a two here i said it's a brilliant idea and we just left it it was dropped we never spoke about it after parallelly i was talking to another common friend of ours and trying to get into carnatic music uh the local language of of chennai and he heard about this and he said hey, this is fascinating and we just left it and and kebar vasuki had written porambok and niti sent it to me and said can we do something about this porambok unakku illa porambok enakku illa porambok oorukku porambok bhoomi Porumbok the word itself means common and can refer to common spaces such as land or the marketplace but over time it has acquired a negative connotation so it's more often used to denote something worthless in the porumbok video which has now gone viral tmk sings about reclaiming the word for something common as something cherished and shared we are all common you and i he says And he sings this as he walks along Ennore Creek, a dying wetland in the city of Chennai that is severely encroached and polluted. It's a broader statement about sharing and protecting public natural commons, our resources. The biggest problem is of 
of having a conversation with culture and art is people telling me now tell me what difference did you make now it's very hard to have that conversation first of all the question is self framed wrongly completely wrongly but it's very hard to actually you know quantify this you know so when i have a, even so many times i've had this conversation with people from the business world uh the csr kind of people right and it's very difficult to explain to that person that this is never going to get captured like you said in uh, any document that you actually release like in urur a small and poor fishing hamlet where he sang a series of concerts celebrating oneness far removed from the hallowed cultural centers where he usually sings the concerts gave the community a sense of agency a dose of notoriety and familiarity with others who would have passed by a million times but never given the neighborhood a look until now uh urur alcott kupum has now got metro water to finally sanction them sewage systems we didn't go there to do this at all even if you ask sharvanan from the village ask niti and me three of the people who first had the conversation shall you do a festival and i went like i said with a very simple notion in my head of saying why should the art festival only happen in certain spaces can we break the space this is all i had in my head there was nothing more and then from it sarvan said yes inge panla let's do it here he said fine we'll do it here and the first year happened got a discomfort for everybody second year things started changing and then but the village also saw that when I mean, there's this agency also here right we can't forget there's agency so for the village this was a there was a lot of agency agency of people seeing that space as being a lovely part of the community larger community of besanagar there also the fact that there were so many things that they were not given which is their civic right and their fundamental right as citizens so there's all those agencies there in tmk's work art and culture is used to begin a conversation and he wants to instigate communities to navigate through their differences to find a common ground which often means changing culture itself my idea of culture is who i pray to what music i listen to uh, how i'm clothed uh, what street i walk what street i will not walk the kind of language i use purity this is the idea of culture that we are kind of bred to believe so that's a huge battle too at the start of each episode of in the field we tell you that we are going to find ways for you to be a part of the solution there are so many different ways in which people are trying to bring change from breaking problems down and dealing with them in a nuts and bolts way or by forcing us to take a hard look at ourselves and india has had a long tradition of seeing all these characters from activists to practitioners to social commentators to organizations doing this work What became apparent from our conversations was that all work begins with a first common step that of empathy of realizing that there's another world view apart from my own and getting to know it is the first step to making change And that's the end of the show thank you for listening Thanks to Balaji Gopalan, Shruti Majumdar, Stalin K Padma and TM Krishna. A special mention to Paramita Sanyal, Vijendra Rao and the Social Observatory team at the World Bank. Also thanks to video volunteers, the Better Work Collective, the Uru Rolkot Kupamvira, Bhargavi Venkatram for lending us her garden and finally all the women from the Jivika project and the millions of unnamed frontline workers in India who make change happen. In the Field is produced and hosted by Radhika Vishwanathan and Samyukta Varma. Our associate producer is Priya Desai. Our music was made by Hollis Coates. 
Third Eye Recording Studios does the sound and Rohini Nilekari Philanthropies helps us do all of the above. So until next time, subscribe for updates on our website and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We are at In The Field India. <laughs>